So as always, it's really a, a pleasure and a joy to be here with you, um, to break open God's Word and share together as we grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior uh, through the study of His Word. Um, so tonight, we're going to continue a study that we began last time I was with you guys. We're going to be looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. Jesus in the Old Testament. And it's very important for us to be able to see that. Just really quickly, I want to go through... Um, a couple of reminders for you of what we talked about last time, some highlights, and then tonight we're going to get into some text in the Old Testament, and we're going to start putting into practice what I shared with you last time we were together. So you remember when Jesus was with the disciples on the road to Emmaus um, in Luke chapter 24, he said, Oh, you foolish men and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So how much are we supposed to believe that the prophets speak? all all right was it not necessary for the christ the christos the anointed one the savior to suffer these things and enter into his glory then beginning with moses and with all of the prophets he explained to them the things concerning himself in how much of the scriptures all of the scriptures now remember luke wrote this but when jesus was relating this to the disciples on the road to emmaus None of the New Testament had been written yet. Okay? So Jesus could not refer his disciples to John 3.16. It was going to be another 30 years before John would pin that out. Or actually longer than that. So you understand what's going on here. Jesus is going back into the Old Testament and showing his disciples that everything that was written, all that was written by the prophets point to him. And it's very important for us to see that. So the entirety of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, right, is all about Jesus. And what we are to do in order to be conformed to his image, he uses his word and his spirit to conform us to that image. And all of the Scriptures is important in that conforming. The book of Genesis, the book of Malachi, the book of uh, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, all of those books are just as important as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because in the Old Testament, the foundation of who Jesus is is established. It's the way that he shared his promises with his people. And so when the disciples, when the Apostle Paul was going around and sharing the gospel, the good news with people, what is the gospel? That Jesus Christ had died according to the Scripture, that He was buried according to the Scripture, and three days later He rose again according to the Scriptures. And Paul was going around and preaching that. But Romans, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, none of those books had been read yet. And when Paul would get into a new town, he would go into the local synagogue to the where there would be both Jews and Gentile God-fearers in that building. And what would it do? All uh, It relates to us in the Scriptures that Paul would reason through the Scriptures with the people. So remember, when he's reasoning with the people through the Scriptures, he's using the Old Testament. And he's showing them that the Old Testament is just as much about Christ as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we as New Testament Christians, if you will, have a tendency to lose focus of those foundational truths that we find in the Old Testament. And they're just as important as the New Testament. 
And one of the greatest ways that you and I can understand the things in the Old Testament, number one, we have to have a regenerate heart, right? The natural man receives not the things of God, they're foolishness to him, neither can he discern them. So one of the key elements to me and you being able to see Jesus in the Old Testament to grasp the full redemptive narrative story from Genesis to Revelation is that we have a regenerated heart. We must be born again. Then the Spirit of God works in our hearts and our minds and in our lives to help us to grasp the things of God. And so once we have that regenerate heart, once we have that new mind, and once we have the Spirit of God who breathed these words out of these people, once, once we have the, Him within us, then He will open our minds so that we can understand all of the things written about Him by the prophets through Moses and the prophets. And so if you look again at that second passage there, Jesus was with his disciples and he said, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So when Jesus came and walked the walk that he walked, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. The promises that were made by God in the Old Testament had to come to fruition. And so, uh, everything that was written in the Old Testament, Jesus was walking it out. Walking out those promises before His disciples. And His disciples, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, wrote down what Jesus did so that we could know Jesus. But not only did they do that, they constantly referred to the Old Testament. Right? If any of you happen to have a, a CSB or a NASB Bible uh, you, you'll see, um, you know in the old King James Bible that we used to have, they had the red letter edition. What are the red letter editions? Jesus', Jesus. Jesus words. Well, the reality is, is every word, starting with, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, those are Jesus' words too. So if you really wanted to put in red Jesus' words, you would just make the whole Bible, all the letters red. But in the New Testament, if you wanted to, if you want to really get an emphasis on something, one of the things that we can emphasize is when the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament. right? And in the NASB, CSB, um, so, several of the translations, they will either put in bold letters the passages from the Old Testament that are quoted in the New Testament, or sometimes they'll uh, make it all caps. But they want you to understand that this is something that was written in the Old Testament that is now being quoted in the New Testament. Um, for example, when Jesus went was driven by the Spirit of God after his baptism into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, what did the devil do? The devil tried to tempt him. And what did the devil say? If you really, if you really are the Son of God, turn these rocks into bread. And what did Jesus say? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Well, he was quoting Deuteronomy 8. And then the devil said, well, uh, if you really are uh, who you say you are, jump down off of this temple and let me see the angels catch you. Right? Well, what was the, the devil was doing? The devil was actually quoting Scripture too. He's Psalm 91. He who dwells within the shelter of the Almighty. Right? Y'all... y'all all right, uh, and he says he will, he will, he will command his angels concerning you and guard you in all of your ways, and you will not strike your foot against a stone. Right, 
And so when the devil was saying, hey, if you jump down off of here, then the angels will catch you and you won't hurt your feet, the devil was quoting the Old Testament too. Right? So the devil knows the Bible just as good as we do. But he was saying, hey, if this really is a promise, if you really are His who dwell in the shelter of the uh, shadow of the Almighty, then when you jump off here, the angels are going to catch you. So let me see the angels catch you. And then what did Jesus say? You shall put not put your Lord, your God, to what? The test. And he was quoting back to the book of Deuteronomy where the children of Israel had put God to the test. You see? And so he's quoting the Old Testament and it's so important for us to see that it's one entire and whole narrative and it's not broken up into pieces. The Old Testament saints had to be saved in the same way that New Testament saints had to be saved. And God has never changed. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, oh, well, that's the Old Testament God and then, then now we have Jesus. He's the New Testament God. Right? Well, God don't change. There's no shadow of turning in Him. He does not change. He's been the same ever since He said, let there be light. Actually, He's been the same before He ever said, let there be light. Because God does not change. And so this Word is entire and whole. And last time we were together, so that we need to go ahead and get into the text tonight, remember I told you it's important for us to be able to see Jesus in the Old Testament because this is the very method that Jesus used to help His, his disciples understand Him. This is the way that Jesus taught. He took the Old Testament and taught them that it was about Him. And we should be able to do the same. Uh, All the the Scriptures are theocentric. Remember we talked about that earlier. What does that mean? God-centered. It's all about Him. We have such a tendency to make the Scriptures about us. We go right to Him and the first thing we want to do is say, how does this apply to me? When in reality what we should be saying is, how does this apply to my God and my Savior? It's all about Him. He's the constant. He's the eternal, not me and you. And so, last of all, Jesus is God and He's revealed Himself through a declaration of His Word, of His promises. And so if we can grasp the reality that God always keeps His promise, God has never broken a promise, then we can go into the Old Testament and see those promises and then see them realized in the New Testament. That gives us assurance that God always does what? Keeps His promise. And so in the same way that he promised in the Old Testament that he was going to come and die on the cross, that he was going to be born of a virgin, that he was going to suffer uh, for and, uh, and die for our sins, in the same way that he fulfilled those promises, he's got promises for me and you today too, doesn't he? What are those promises? That one day we will inherit a new heavens and a new earth. And if we can grasp the reality that God has always kept his promises, then we can look forward to the future knowing that those promises are going to be kept, no matter what it looks like in the world we live in today. So, Jesus is the central message of all of the Word. And Jesus is the Word. Now, last of all, and then today, what we're going to do is we read these texts. I want you to start applying these methods to us seeing Jesus in the Old Testament. First of all, we see Jesus in genealogies. What is a genealogy? Family trees. And what does all of humanity's family tree have in common? What is the the root of? Of all of the family tree of all of humanity, Adam. So today, when we get into Genesis one and two, immediately we're going to realize, hey, Jesus is involved in this because it's his family tree too. Because the Word became what flesh and dwelt among us. He became a man. He is one hundred percent man and one hundred percent God. And you and I can't understand what a two hundred percent person is. He's fully God and he's fully man. 
And so in Adam, we see the, the family tree. Remember in the book of Luke, and we'll look at this today, we go through the genealogy of Jesus and it goes, uh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God, right? And so his family tree goes all the way back to Adam, and we need to see that. Um, we see him in prophecies. We talked about this last time we were together. Psalm uh, 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's how it starts off, right? And then in, and when Jesus is hanging on the cross, what does he scream on the cross? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, why is he yelling that? Because he is literally fulfilling that psalm. David, when he wrote that psalm, this is Jesus' great, 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 great name. When he was writing that psalm, he was speaking of this suffering one whose hands would be pierced and whose clothes would be gambled for. They were going to gamble for his clothes. And when you read Psalm 22, you see all of those things as prophecies of what was going to happen when Jesus hung on the cross. So 700 years before Jesus ever walked there, 700 years before Jesus ever hung on the cross, it was already set in the eternal uh, decree of God exactly how he was going to die. And Jesus was fulfilling every one of those promises. So we see him in the prophecies. We see him in types and shadows. Um, uh, and we'll talk about some of those today. We see him in themes. And we're going to see one of those themes, or a couple of those themes today as we read through the text. Themes. Um, supernatural births. Barren wombs. Older brothers persecuting younger brothers. Light. Bread. Right? Um, and also we see him in theophanies. And what do we say a theophany was? Does anybody remember last time we were together? What is a theophany? Theo meaning God. And phaneru or uh, it's a word for an appearance, all right? So if we take the authony and put it together, what does it mean? An appearance of God. And what is the problem with that? What, is, what does the Scripture say? No man has ever seen God and lived. And yet in the Old Testament, He appears. He appears. And so we're going to see Him in theophanies as we go through and, and go through these. So tonight, let's turn really quickly... Uh, let's get over to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to read all of Genesis chapter 1, and then I just want to look at a couple of things in Genesis chapter 2. Yes, ma'am? Was that um, God who appeared at Abraham's door? Yes, it, and a lot of people think that it was actually the Trinity, because remember, there was three angels. Yeah, so... Uh, it's a theophany. It's God manifesting Himself in a way that we can see Him. A God appearance. That's what the word theophany means. And we can't see God with our natural eyes because God is a spirit and we can't see spirits with our natural eyes. So what does He do? He, he shows Himself in forms that we can understand. Alright, so let's open with a word of prayer and get started on this text in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Father, thank You again for this time. Um, help us tonight uh, to see Your Son Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit, to understand that these are your words that you have given us so that we can know our Savior, so that we can know you, Christ. Um, Father, thank you for your love and your kindness to us. Thank you for saving us. Help us to grow and conform to the image of your Son through a study of your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and there was a darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. 
Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, and that was one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanses from the waters which were above the expanses, and it was so. God called the expanses heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, Let uh, the uh, waters uh, below the heavens gather into one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation and plant yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit and their kind and with seed in them, and it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seeds after their kind, and trees bearing fruits with seeds in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, that was the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanses of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for light in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night, and he made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening, there was morning, a fourth day. And then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed him, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was evening, there was morning, that was the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures and their kind, cattle and creeping things, and beasts of the earth of their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the seas, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over it, the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which uh, has fruit uh, yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all, saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. All right, so he um, in chapter 2, the earth, heaven and the earth were completed. And I want you to look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man become a living being. The Lord, um, and, and then when we look down in verse 18 of chapter 2, the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. All right, um, and it says in verse 
21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in that place. And the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, because she was taken out of the man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. All right, so tonight we're going to discuss Jesus in the creation. Jesus in the creation. All right, the first place I want us to look is in um, verse 3. Then God said, what? Let there be light. And there was light. Now, how can I see Jesus in that statement? Good. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Okay? So remember, under themes, repetitive echoes, the theme of light. And every one of us in this room understand that. We grasp that from the time that we literally are like three days old. As we grow as kids, when we're little, every time we, mom turns out the lights and tries to go to bed, we say, Mama, can you come in here and please turn on the closet light and crack the door for me? You see, we understand that there's a difference in darkness and light. And when we're, even when we're little kids, we know that dark is not good yes. and that light is good. And it's so funny, when we were little kids, all mom had to do was come in and just turn. If, as long as there was one light on somewhere, the rest of the room could be dark, you know. And then we'd go to sleep, and we could close our eyes and go to sleep, knowing that if I open my eyes, what's going to be there? There's some light. So now I can close my eyes and be comfortable because I know there's light. And isn't it funny, when we were kids, we were scared all night long, couldn't sleep. But then as soon as the sun started coming up the next morning, it got easier to sleep. Because deep down inside of us, and because we were created in the image of God, we grasp the concept, the dichotomy of light and dark. Like, it's one of the first realities that we face. And what did God do? God brought light out of what? Darkness. So we see Jesus in the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. But it goes deeper than that. Look in verse 3 again. Then God said... Let there be light. Look at verse 6. Then God said. And look at verse 9. Then God said. And look at verse 11. Then God said. And verse 14. Then God said. And verse 20. Then God said. What is God doing there? He's speaking. That's right. All right. So keep your uh, place there in Genesis 1. And let's turn back to John chapter 1. Turn back to John chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Yep, we're going to John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Who was in the beginning with God? The Word. Right? All things came into being through Him and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. Alright? All things came into being through Him. What does that make Him? 
If all things came into being through Him, what did that make Him? The Creator. That's exactly right. It's very important for us to understand that, and it's very important to hold on to that reality. Because every cult and ism out there is going to do whatever it can do to skew the reality that there is a Creator and then there is creation. And every cult and false religion out there will be more than happy to tell you that Jesus is a created being. But only a child of God can admit that He is the Creator. See, Jesus is not the creation. um, There's a a religion known as pantheism. Pan, Pan meaning all, and thea meaning what? God. All is God. So God is the trees, and God is the sun, and God is the clouds, and God is me and you. See, it's pantheism. God is all. He's in everything. He is all things. God is not the clouds. God is not my pet. God is not the sky or the stars or the sun or the moon or the birds, the bees, the flowers, and trees. God is the creator of those things. You see how that works? And every heresy out there and almost all heresies out there are in some way going to conflate the creator and the creation and combine them together where you can't distinguish between them. It's very important for us to understand that he was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and nothing came into being without him. There's a big fancy term in Latin called ex nihilo. Meaning out of and hilo. I don't know what that means. I'm not a big Latin guy. But what it means is he created everything out of nothing. And you and I can't grasp that. Because we are something. Jesus created everything out of nothing. Time, space, matter. Every molecule. He spoke them into being. There was nothing. And he created all the somethings. He is the creator. We are his creation. And we always need to make sure that we keep that distinction. He created it all. See, that's what it's saying there, verse 3. All things came into being through him and apart from him, but nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And that life was the light of men and the light shine in the darkness. And the darkness could not overcome it. So he, Jesus is light. Jesus is light. Jesus is the Word. Right? And it's very important for us to see all of those things because now I can go back into the Old Testament and God said, God said, God said, in the beginning was the Word. There's Jesus. You see? But if you look in John 1.14, what did it say? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He clothed Himself in humanity and walked among us so that we could know who He is. So now when I go back to the Old Testament and I hear God say, let there be light, immediately who comes to mind? Jesus. He's the Creator. He is the light of the world. He is the Word of God. And boom, the lights come on. There He is in the very beginning. God said, God said, God said, God said. Alright? So that that's a couple of the ways that we see Him there. Um, let's see if there is any other way that we can uh, see him in that passage. 
What is another way that we can see him in that passage? We can see him through genealogies, and we've already spoken of that a little bit. What do I mean by that? His family tree. And that's, I want us to go, while you're back there in John, let's go back to the book of Luke really fast. Uh, just take a left and go back one book uh, to Luke. Remember, Luke was a doctor. Luke was a physician. Uh, so let's look at... I'm going to make sure you all all memorize this now. I'm going to test you next time we come. I want to make sure you know all of his descendants. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Verse 23, when he began his ministry, who are we talking about? The word Jesus. Jesus himself was about 30 years of age and as supposed was the son of Joseph. What does that mean, he was supposed the son of Joseph? When he was 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph. What does that mean? Well, Joseph is his, his earthly father, but he's not his father. Who's his father? Our father who art in heaven, right? So they just assumed that Joseph and Mary had this baby. Why did they just assume that? Because babies just don't come out of nothing. They, you know, It takes a man and a woman. And the difference in Jesus and every other man that's ever been born is that Jesus was born of a virgin. We'll see more of that next time we're together when we get into Genesis chapter 3 and we look at the fall. We'll see more of that. But he was supposed to be the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathat. Now remember, um, we, we get bogged down in all of those names and we can't say them and they get to be tongue twisters and, and they don't, we don't really know who they are. Well, one of the reasons we don't know who they are is why. Because all of these names are listed where? In the Old Testament. And as New Testament believers, we just read it and go, well, man, that's Milky and Addy and Codman and Elmadam and Ur and Joshua and Elliot. Now, but if you start looking, you see Joshua. You know, but that's not Joshua. Is that Joshua? From the tribe, well, Joshua from the tribe of Judah. You know, you have to think about it, don't you? But you will run across names that you recognize. How about verse 32? He's the son of Jesse. Who is Jesse? David's dad. Right? The son of Obed, the son of Boaz. Wait a minute. Who was Boaz? That's Ruth's husband, remember? So now when we go back and we read the book of Ruth, we're like, oh, wait a minute. This is Jesus' family tree we're studying here. You see? It took a Moabite packing up and going back with a Jew. It took a Gentile packing up and going back with a Jew and marrying a Jew fellow for Jesus' family tree to, to come to fruition. And then it starts making more sense. And we read through and we read through them. Then we come down and look in verse 38. The son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So why didn't it just stop at Adam? Because he's the creator. Jesus is the creator. He's the one that planted the tree to begin with. See how that works? Now, um, I don't know about you, but if any of y'all have ever studied any like um, Darwinism or anything like that, one of the first things they're going to tell you is that, well, there wasn't really a real Adam and a real Eve. Well, what's the problem with that? If you take the real Adam away, then you've just cut Jesus' family tree off right at the roots. You see? 
So we see him in genealogies. Um, we see him in themes, light. And last of all, I, I want to show you this one more. This is a really cool one. We'll, we'll kind of wind up with this. So look over in Genesis chapter 2. And let's look at that 18 through 25 section again. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. Now remember, as Jesus was creating everything, what did He say? It is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. Every time He said it's good. Everything that He made is what? Good. The first time it says it's not good is when what? When Adam was a bachelor. You see? We're not created to be alone, guys. That, that's not where we, so what is he doing here? He's establishing the marriage. He's establishing marriage, and he says, "I will make a helper suitable for him." All right, we're not going to get into birds and bees class, but basically, what he's saying in the original language, what he's saying is they're going to fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. All right. That's why all of this homosexuality and stuff is an abomination in God's eyes because men and men don't fit together. He created them to balance one another out. Right? Have you ever noticed how women notice everything? They see everything. And believe me, they hear everything too. You can't talk quiet if they don't hear you. Mm-hmm. They're very alert and they're very emotional, are they not? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the way God created them. You see? And have you ever noticed, ladies, how guys, when they watch the TV, they don't hear anything you say? They kind of have one-track minds on it. They get focused on one thing, and it's total vision. right? But God created the man and woman to balance one another out. You see, there's sometimes when you men, we men, are kind of hard-headed, and we, we miss things. We don't see angles that we should be seeing. And if we have a helpmate, what does she do? She says, hey, you know, you ought to think about this. And then there's sometimes in life when things just need to be cut and dry. And And that's when it's your time to step in and say, no, this is what we're doing. See? And if the man and the woman are balancing one another out, if they love one another, and they're giving all of one another to each other, they become one. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. God created them to be one. Right? What God has joined together, let no man tear apart. And that's the way he, he established this. But watch how he established it. He had made all uh, the animals and the trees and the birds and the bees. Out of the, out of the ground, he made all the animals. He brought them to the man. But when he created a helper for the man, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept. And he took one of those ribs and he closed up the flesh in that place. The Lord God fashioned into the woman, uh, into a woman, the rib which He had taken from the man and brought it to the man. All right. So real quick, here's our uh, anatomy question for the day: Do men have one less rib than women? Yes. Who says yes? Raise your hand if you think men have less. All right. Okay. Now let me ask you this: If I had a three-legged cow and I bred my three-legged cow, and she had a calf. How many legs would the calf have? Four. Four. You see? Think about it. The only person that had one rib was one less rib was Adam. When Cain came out, he had a full set of ribs. 
had a whole rack. If you go and look in anatomy books, we all have the same amount of ribs. I've been taught all of my life that men and women have, women have, men have one less rib than women. And it's just simply not true. You see? It was Adam that lost that rib. And it makes sense. You think about that. If you have a three-legged cow and he had, and that cow has a calf, that baby's coming out with four legs because genetically it's imprinted on them who they are. They come out as the kind that they were made. Yeah, you see? So it just makes it kind of simple. That's just our little side note. I always have fun with that because for a long time I had been taught all of my life that men have one less rib than women. That's just not true. So uh, you can take that for what it's worth. But how did he get this wife? God put him to sleep. And then he reached into his side and he pulled a rib out of his side and out of that rib he made a what? Woman. A wife. In the Old Testament, who is the wife of God? The wife of the church. Well, yes. You're exactly right. But in the Old Testament, Israel. Israel. How many of y'all remember the book of Hosea? You remember the book of Hosea? All right. So here's your assignment this week. Read the book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet. And as a prophet, he was supposed to keep himself clean and not do bad things. And God told him to go and marry a hooker. Go marry a prostitute. Alright? And have babies with her. And those babies are... You're going to have babies. And then after they got married and had babies, she ran off and cheated on him. And he said, go back and get her again and, and bring her back into your house and take her in and... Right? And restore What it was a picture of, it was a physical living picture of God and who He is. And how we're all whores and we run out and, and spread our legs to every false god in the world. And yet God in His love and His grace and His mercy reaches out and takes a defiled, wicked, filthy person like me and brings him in and washes me in His blood and makes me a new creation. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? Alright? In the New Testament, who is the bride? The church. And who is the groom? Jesus. You see? Well, how did Jesus get His bride? He died on the cross. He went to sleep, didn't he? And then what did they do? They pierced his side. And what came out of his side? The blood that purchased his people. You see? So he went to sleep. They pierced his side. And from out of his side comes a wife. You see how that theme plays all the way back to the very beginning? It's like none of that caught God by surprise. It was all planned out. It's pretty cool, isn't it? To think about that. There's nothing that has ever taken place in this world that has not been in God's mind. Nothing. Every bit of it is decreed. Even your screw-ups and even your fouls. Now, God is not the cause of your sin. God is not the one that made you go out and do the things that you did. But He knew they were going to happen because they were decreed to happen. He knew in your rebellion and your wickedness that you were going to go out and do the things that you did. And yet He loved you enough to reach down in this filthy, wicked world and take a filthy, wicked man like me 
and wash him clean and make him his child. Because he loves me. You see? And he did that through who? Jesus, his son. And it's a beautiful thing. All right, I want to finish up with one last passage for us to think about. And this is just kind of a side note. Turn with me really quickly to 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's look at verse 4. We'll start at verse 3. And even if our gospel... Are you all there? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll look at verses 3. And we're going to go through verses 6. And even if our gospel is veiled... What does it mean for something's veiled? Right? What do you think of when you think of a veil? A bride. No, you're not. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. What does it mean to perish? It means to die. It means to rot. It means to fade away. All of us in this room are perishing. If you don't believe you're perishing, then you can lay off the soap and deodorant for a couple days. And then not only will you know you're perishing, but so will everybody else here. And they probably won't appreciate it. You see? We're dying. We're perishing. And uh, it says, the gospel is veiled. It's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world, and notice that God is spelled with a little g. That's an idol or a demon or a false god. It's actually talking about the devil. Even in their case, the God of this world has blinded, he's blinded their minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the what? Light. Of the gospel of the glory. So the devil blinds us with darkness. God blinds us with light. Or actually God doesn't blind us with light. He opens our eyes so that we can see the truth with the light. Now, to someone who is perishing, to someone who has that veil over their face, when the light shines, what's it going to do? It's going to blind them. They They can't grasp the light. It don't make any sense to them. Good. You preach the gospel. Um, and the same way, the way that you preach the gospel is you read the Word of God. You rely on the Holy Spirit to bring forth the dead. In the same way that Jesus stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth. You and I today, as we share the gospel, the Word of God, as we share those words, God is creating a people for Himself. Because look what it says next. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, our Lord, and as yourself as bond servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, watch this, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So, look what Paul's doing there. For God said, light shall shine out of darkness. What is Paul doing? Huh? He's quoting what? Genesis. Genesis. Let there be light. So what he's saying is, in the same way that God said, let there be light, as we preach the gospel... 
the Word of God and the Spirit of God are working together to speak into the darkness of men's hearts and say what? Let there be light. And in the same way that brought light, God brought light and order out of chaos and darkness in the physical world around us, God is doing the very same things in the lives of men and women today. In this room. If you're in this room today, if you're in this room today and you truly are a born-again, blood-bought, regenerated child of God, if you truly are His child, you need to understand that it was through the Word of God and through the Spirit of God that God brought you out of the darkness. It was Him that He did it. It was Jesus that did it. And He spoke into that dark, filthy, wicked heart of yours and said, no more. Let there be light. And boom, the light's gone. And that's how it works. In the same way that He formed that man out of the dust and breathed breath into his nose and there was life, that's exactly what He did for you. He claimed you as His bride. He lifted the veil said, you belong to me. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. He is a good God and a loving God and a caring God and a compassionate God. And He's gracious and merciful. But He's also just. And there are many people, there may be somebody in this room today, I can't look at, I don't know the hearts of anybody here, but there may be somebody in this room today who is still in the darkness. There may be people within the sound of my voice today who are still in the dark. But through the preaching of Jesus Christ, through the proclamation of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as the one who died on that cross, was buried, and three days later rose from the dead, and He is now sitting at the right hand of His Father in heaven, watching His work come to fruition before our eyes. He today, this very day, is speaking light into the darkness. And men are coming out of the dark and into the light. And if you're in this room today and you've never trusted Him, if you've never repented, then turn away from the darkness and come into the light. It's there. It's there for whoever will receive Him. To all of those who receive Him, to all of those who believe on His name, He gives them the right to become children of God. So, I hope that this first presentation... Uh, the the creation narrative helps you to see that Jesus was already there. I hope it helps you to grasp the, the beauty and the depth and the scope of who our God is, our eternal creator, and what he's done for us, and what he's still doing for us today. And as we, next time we get together, it'll be the second Tuesday of the month, or first Tuesday of the month, we're going to get into the fall. So, what I would like for you to do when you get a chance in one of your... I don't know if y'all get free meditation time around here or whatever. But if you get a chance, go back to Genesis 1 and 2 and find Him for yourself. Find who? Jesus. For yourself. And then if you want to go ahead... It's it's more than okay to cheat. And you can go ahead and read Genesis chapter 3 and see where you can find Him. Use these keys... Uh, Genealogy, prophecies, types of shadows, themes, and theophilies. And see if you can find Him yourself. And maybe when somebody else comes here and preaches to you Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, see if you can find Him there. You see? And start doing that. When you're in the Old Testament, 
Make sure that you're seeing Jesus just as much in the Old Testament as you are in the New. Right? So I want to thank you all for your time. Let's close with a quick prayer. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for your compassion and your mercy. Thank you for loving us when we couldn't be loved. Thank you for forgiving us when we shouldn't have been forgiven. Thank you for the cross. And thank you for who you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.